Hello, my name is Jeff Ranke and welcome to Security Breach. What else can we say as it relates to the industrial sector and the cybersecurity threats that continue to present themselves other than the battle wages on? The value of the sector's IP, the plethora of personal information, and the vital need to maintain uptime makes manufacturing a favorite target of hackers. And as those in the financial and healthcare markets know all too well, recognition of the threat only seems to spur the creation of new and better weapons focused on wreaking cybersecurity havoc. So joining us today to discuss some of the latest threats to hit the industrial sector is Lauren Podber. She's a principal intelligence analyst at Red Canary, a firm that specializes in managing cybersecurity endpoint detection, planning, and response. They were also among the first to assess the first threat that we're going to discuss, Raspberry Robin. So Lauren, first of all, welcome back to Security Breach. Thanks so much for joining us again. You know, with a name like Raspberry Robin, I was kind of hoping we'd be talking about ice cream flavors but it's something completely different that obviously this new type of attack that's really hitting the industrial sector so hard. What can you tell us about Raspberry Robin and what it means for manufacturers? Absolutely, so it's great to see you and thank you for having me back. Uh, Raspberry Robin is Red Canary's name for a cluster of activity that we've seen affecting organizations in multiple sectors, but notably manufacturing and technology um, across different geographies. So it's typically introduced to a victim's system uh, with an infected USB drive. It's got a file that looks legitimate, but is actually malicious. And so when a user clicks that file, um, prompts a worm, which is uh, something that sort of propagates through the network, and it attempts to download an additional file. Okay, so when we look at the industrial sector, what are some things that, what does this mean to them when we talk about a worm sort of propagating through the network? What's the types of things, what's the type of impact that it could potentially have? Sure, so in this case, um, it's pulling down another file. So we don't know what that second file is designed to do. So one hypothesis is it could allow an attacker to persist in that compromised network, the manufacturing sector and any organization um, and then we don't know the full capabilities that would happen after that. So that's sort of our intelligence gap is understanding what that follow-on activity might be. Um, but I think it's reasonable if an attacker has remote access to a system, which we don't know for sure that they would, but if they do, there's any range of bad outcomes, could install additional malware, attempt to steal information, um, or like otherwise carry out or execute code in that environment. So what we do know is Raspberry Robin allows attackers to introduce more malware to the system. And we're working to understand what might happen later on so we can better qualify those risks. Now, Red Canary kind of broke ground on this, this bug in terms of, or this worm in terms of what it can do last October. Has it, in your experience and in, in looking at what it can do, is it as simple as basically telling industrial manufacturers and enterprises, hey, don't use a USB that's coming from outside your organization? Sure, great question. So um, yes, like in an ideal world, not using a USB uh, makes it a lot easier. That is the known attack vector for Raspberry Robin. And like you said, that's affected a lot of organizations and manufacturing. Um, in some cases, like organizations might not have the option to sort of disable that use. So aside from the policy, as you mentioned, like don't use an outside one, say like don't plug in any drive that um, isn't recognizable and wasn't explicitly issued by your organization, separate business and personal tools. And if it's a threat that you're worried about and your organization does have USB ports or that's a part of your environment, talk to your IT folks to see what they can disable on their end to try to better sort of secure that attack surface. 
as a USB drive is a very effective way to introduce a virus into the system. Excellent. So shifting gears a little bit here, Lauren, a little bit more nefarious name, something you would detect a cyber criminal potentially use. We're seeing an uptick in some of the Black Cat ransomware as a service tool or weapon. What are some of the things that you and Red Canary have seen kind of on the rise on the Black Cat front? Sure. So Black Cat is a pretty prevalent ransomware as a service threat, as you mentioned. Um, it's been sort of a big uptick, I think more than 60 victims that we know about at least as far back as November 2021. Um, it's written in Rust, and so it can be configured to target organizations who have either a Windows system or a Linux system. So it's more accessible to affect more victims. Um, in cases we know about, it's been able to encrypt systems really quickly. So that makes, um, sort of raises costs for defenders in terms of understanding what it's gonna look like before that attack trying to um, identify those precursors, detect those, and then kick that attacker out of your system or out of one's system. Because it's a ransomware as a service threat, we're gonna see different types of precursor activity. So in cases when you've got sort of these different players in this ecosystem of an initial access broker, somebody who might compromise and sell access to a network, the affiliate, the people actually deploying the ransomware, and then the developers, the operators who are creating that payload, it kind of creates this narrative that like black cat attacks look a particular way over time. And the truth is that there are a number of variations based on these different types of players and the choices that they make when they're using this tool to achieve their objectives. Um, and then lastly, this has sort of become the norm, so much so that I forgot to include it as a characteristic, but it very much follows that double extortion model where the operators encrypt uh, steal data prior to encrypting it and then threaten to release that stolen data um, if the victim doesn't pay the demanded ransom within the time frame. Scary stuff in there. There is a connection between Black Cat and the Colonial Pipeline attack last fall, correct? So that is, there is growing speculation that the yeah. Black Hat or operators or folks using Black Hat, uh, Black Cat, excuse me, um, have recruited um, adversaries who have worked for other groups. So one hypothesis is around using um, resources or people from DarkSide, which is the group responsible for the attack on the Colonial Pipeline that was so disruptive last year. And it, it really seems like Black Hat is sort of the um, weapon of choice by a lot of the sort of the all-stars of the cyber criminal world, whether it's Reveal or DarkSide. Is there a particular reason why they're really drawn to Black Hat as, as their tool of choice? That's a great question. I think part of it is likely due to the uh, ability to um, compromise victims running bulk Windows and Linux systems. I think there are far fewer ransomware payloads, at least that I'm aware of, that are going to be cross-platform like that. So purchasing access to that tool is going to give you more flexibility in terms of the organizations that you can target. Um, and I think the fact that it's supposed to be relatively easy to use. I have yeah. personally have not used anything, <laughs> of course, um, but a number of the reports reference it working quickly. And so that, I think, increases the probability of success in terms of encrypting a network before um, or attempting to encrypt a network before the uh, organization could identify and, and kick the attacker out. So I think the ability to, to potentially target more victims like that surfaces larger and then the ability to do something so quickly, like it sort of increases the offensive advantage. 
And as I understand, those are two of the inherent benefits of the Rust programming language. And that's why this has been such a challenge for a lot of IT professionals. So we've talked about the scary stuff, Lauren. Let's talk about some of the things we can do to help prevent these attacks. In particular, when we look at these two types of, of weapons, if you will, from the cyber criminal. What are some things manufacturers can do to protect their enterprise? Sure. So I think what you're looking at, we start with ransomware. The, the best defense is understanding and detecting the precursor activity early. So while the specific chains of behavior might be different, understanding the attack vectors. So there are um, vulnerabilities. So any infrastructure that people have facing the internet, uh, you wanna make sure that's patched. If there's anything that doesn't need to be internet facing, remove that from the internet. So cut it off as far to the left as possible. So that's one piece of the initial access. Sometimes there'll be a, a phishing email. So kind of the same guidance folks have gotten for a long time around uh, identifying and um, not interacting with attempts to uh, socially engineer um, their employees. Um, credential hygiene is really big. So making sure that organizations have strong uh, password protection policies and strong identity measures in place. And then as nothing is perfect, you want that defense in depth. So saying, hey, we sometimes see a tool like Cobalt Strike or PS Exec like used to move sort of from that initial compromise to the ransomware payload. Understanding the behaviors you would see with those types of precursor activity, hopefully to be able to identify anything like that as early as possible. Um, with Raspberry Robin, as you mentioned, I think a lot of it is also around policy and hygiene. So making sure that if you have to use a USB drive, that it is sanctioned, that your IT department has deemed it to be clean and usable. Um, and then depending on your, your risk tolerance and your environment, really working with IT to make sure you have um, the right policies in place to minimize any additional risks. Yeah, you know, in assembling the cybersecurity plan, if you will, we've heard a lot on the defensive side of that in terms of password protection and training employees. Another part of that plan needs to be having a response ready for for when an enterprise does become does come yeah. under attack and how they need to respond to it. What advice can you give to manufacturers in terms of developing that portion of the plan in developing a response to a cyber attack? Sure. So. Um not my area of expertise, but in sort of the organizations that I've worked with um, in my career, I think communication is probably the most challenging piece. Understanding who can make what decision at what point and what information they need to do that um, is one of the, the best things you can do in advance. Like you said, every there's no way to game out every scenario. So I think organizations have, um, there's certainly like, tabletop exercises or things they can do to say, hey, we might see something like this or this type of thing could involve these components. What would we do? Um, and I think like the one of the most challenging things is just that place. Like who who needs to know what um, at, at what time under what cadence and um, who's empowered to make decisions, particularly if they're ones that could involve a disruption to the business or might otherwise incur some sort of cost. Thanks, Lauren. For more information on the work Red Canary does, you can go to redcanary.com. Thanks for joining us today. To catch up on past episodes, you can go to manufacturing.net, in.com, or mbtmag.com. Security Breach is also available as a podcast, so if you'd prefer to listen, you can go to any of your podcast platforms and look for Security Breach. For Lauren Podber, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.